guys we are on to episode two of season two overall episode 23 uh fumble podcast i'm your host pej uh don't forget to like subscribe follow me on youtube um or anywhere you take in your uh podcasts uh today's guest is a special one i've actually had one interaction with him previously through a uh, mutual friend um, that uh, introduced us. A very, very interesting man, to say the least. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, his life currently, and I'm going to ask him some questions about his past. And he also has a rocking band that we're going to get into as well. Um, Jacob Desrochers, how you doing, man? Thanks for getting on. Good. <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm, I'm well, Good man. Good job on the name. Yeah, yeah, I yes. did it. I did it. <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, uh, thanks for getting on. I know uh, you're busy, and and I appreciate you spending a, uh, some time with us today. Um, of course. First of all, uh, you're 49 now, correct? I turned 49 on the 11th, so next Wednesday I'll be 49. 49. All right. Cool, man. Well, yeah. happy early birthday. And um, you don't thank look 49. You. you look 29. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate I appreciate that. I fight. I fight it. I fight it as hard as I can. So state cool, of man. mind. State of mind. Exactly. Right. It's all it's all in the mind. Um, so you we wanted to talk about your uh, current projects that you're involved in. Uh, one being overall okay. about your health. Right. You were talking about. Yeah. Uh, you're running again. You're, 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 you have a goal yep. to, to get in shape. Um, yep. And I know from touring and being in music and being involved in recording like yourself, I know that uh, focusing on uh, our health sometimes is the last thing on our mind. So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, you were talking about running and, and you're training for a race. Well, let's start there. What, what are you training for? Well, it's, it's not like a, a race per se. I just started training for a 5k. It's the, uh, I like setting goals like that. Um, I'm a competitive person by nature. 
I've ran before and I just felt like um, if I set myself up and I sign up for something, I'll, I'll finish it. And then recently I was watching the Olympics and I remembered how much I love swimming and I, I grew up in a pool. And so the next day I went up and did some laps at a, at a, at a gym up off of Folsom that has an Olympic sized pool. And I did about 30 or 40 laps without any problem. So then that night, um, given my nature of competition, I signed up to swim Donner Lake on the 14th, okay. which is in a couple weeks. So now wow. I'm, I'm running and swimming. Yeah. Cause I'm a much stronger swimmer than I am, a, than I am a runner. I'm a big guy. And us big guys hit the ground a little harder when we're running and I'm not lean. Uh, I like to run because it's such a challenge, but swimming, I can go a lot further and a lot quicker um, being weightless and everything. And I've always been a strong swimmer and I do have the lung capacity from singing. So that helps. And um, yeah, so I'm already up to like 80 laps, which is about three miles in the lake is 2.7. So I should be okay, except for the, uh, I got to look out for the altitude and the, the water temperature so i bought yeah. like a wetsuit thing and i'm just gonna go for it damn bro that's that's awesome i mean uh being able to just make your mind up to do that um and previous to that when was the last time you got in the in the pool or in the lake to swim like probably about 20 or 30 yeah i've never even competed i just grew up we had a pool when i was growing up and then in high school I had this swim coach, my PE coach for when I was a senior yeah. and she had us swimming like three days a week and uh, doing weight and that's probably the best shape I was ever in in my life when I was a senior in high school. And um, she taught me all the, the strokes, um, the breathing technique, even did some diving and stuff because, you know, you might as well be out there. You're going to get something out of it. And I just remembered really liking it. And there's something meditative to swimming because it's such a rhythmic like breathing. Yeah. And I was always good at the breaststroke because it doesn't, you're underwater a little bit longer. You could take bigger breaths. So yeah, I just started doing it. And then I looked on YouTube and found how to make the stroke a little more efficient nice. and watched a couple videos and was watching the Olympics, watching them, how they swim. And so I went back the next day and each day I'd kind of going in and trying to improve the actual stroke so that I can get across the lake um quicker and I, I don't know i just wanted a challenge i've always like i watch like a nike commercial where they're running through um the woods or something in the rain and i just i envy that you know i just yeah. want to be an athlete i grew up an athlete and uh yeah what did you uh other than swimming what else did you participate in 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 uh in athletics in school well, let's see. So growing up, I started, I played soccer. I played baseball. I, uh, like I said, did swimming. I was an avid skateboarder um, for a really long time. Uh, I played baseball for about 13 years. And then snowboarding kind of took over as well. When I was in high school, I eventually got sponsored uh, by Burton Snowboards. And this is in like 89 and 90. Wow. And com competed pretty well. And then when the sport started to sort of shift gears into more extreme um, snowboarding, like what they're doing now, um, yeah. to be an extreme athlete, I think you have to not be afraid of getting hurt because you're hurling your body 
you know, there's that element to it and it and it goes beyond just adrenaline. It goes into like just no fear. There's just yeah. a certain type of person that can do that sport. Like not everybody can do that. I was pretty good, but I would always look where I was gonna land. I'm not flying off cliffs. I'm not just hurling, you know, ten backflips in a row. The guys that do that stuff like in the Olympics now, it just amazing to me it's like the big wave surfers that do those 50 100 foot waves forget it i love the ocean and i love the water but you know that's just an like just the people that do that have this other this other hinge you know um that i just never had so yeah but i got pretty good um and i still ride every year i go up maybe 10 or 12 times my me and my fiance both both snowboard and um yeah, once uh, I got older, you know, I got, I grew in size and I just wanted to feel like an athlete again. So I started lifting, walking, doing kind of more basic stuff. And then more recent years, just really wanting to up the ante and compete, you know, just feel yeah. that rush of, of something about competition pushes the human condition. Yeah. And um, I, I just want to feel that again. And, uh, having some kind of uh, success. That's cool, man. I I completely uh, can relate to the competitive nature. Um, I mean, I wrestled in high school. My passion in sports has always been basketball, but coming from Iran, I I didn't have the confidence when I was in in my high school and our high school was like top, top five (laughs) in that sport. Yeah. So, you know, and you know, all their players, What, what sport? In basketball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my passion oh, okay. ever since uh, ever since I learned about the game. I mean, I always loved it. Um, I didn't know I'd love it to the level that I did um, later on after high school. I mean, after high school, I actually started playing leagues and stuff. But I do it now for fun, right? Because I actually enjoy it. And it's just so freeing. And there's something about healthy competition and um, that's just uh, – people who compete and 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 compete for that uh high right you get that um there's this there's like a emotion involved with it that i'm sure you you can uh, relate to that is just unmatched for me you know and and basketball gives me that the most it looks like swimming and baseball and 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 x games did that for you um yeah so it's you know i i really uh i've mentioned to you before i mean i i I don't i don't do any drugs or any i don't drink or do anything like that to to so my high my high comes from you know playing basketball um i wrestled in high school i I enjoy watching mma um i wouldn't do it now although i'd love to train it at it i wouldn't compete in mma um just because my wife will leave me (laughs) after a few months (laughs) but uh but um But, you know, it's, um, you know, I think basketball just, I can still do it at 35 and I think I can do it at, at 45 and 55. I feel like I, yeah. can, I can still play it, you know? Um, yeah. I like, I like basketball too. It's my favorite sport to watch. To watch, on yeah. TV. Yeah. yeah. And I played, I played up until high school, but in high school I was short. Like I grew a lot when I was a junior. Yeah. And by then, by then I was into the skateboarding and snowboarding thing and th- th- those two worlds were sort of separate yeah. um the the high school sports and you know skateboarding and snowboarding were the more the rebellious you know kind of punk rock sort of sports so they didn't merge 
And uh, again, again, basketball is one of those sports that once you hit that certain age, you know, it takes off. It goes to another level. Once yeah, you hit yeah. 17, 18, the natural players just grow six inches and they just start dunking on you. And you're like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. good luck. It, it's, but yeah, I, it, I, I, I love the sport. It's a great sport. Yeah. Um, I enjoy watching baseball kind of like, uh, and, and the X games I'm, I'm horrible at, at any of the X games and my wife loves skiing and all that. And, and I've started mm-hmm. recently to take that up. Um, and my first attempt, I dislocated my thumb, which was great, but, uh, <laughs> it, it's part of it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, that's cool, man. Though I, I think we, we share a few commonalities and, and, uh, love for sports in general and then um music obviously uh and then it's interesting you said basketball and and punk rock uh yeah you know i was in a touring rock band and i love basketball right so it was like it it, uh to the naked eye that didn't really mesh but sure for me it was like for me that was a challenge right to me it was like all right well you know, I'm a Persian boy that, that sings rock that already doesn't mesh. The only other person who's done, <laughs> the, the only, the only other person that's done that was Freddie Mercury. Right. And then he, he sure, kicked ass sure. at it. So I was like, why not me? Right. And so in yeah. my twenties, that's what I did. Um, but I, nice. I'm curious to know. In Iran? You, no, no, no. In my twenties was oh. here. I, I moved from Iran when I was okay. eight. I left Iran when I was eight. Oh, okay. Years yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, uh, and I haven't been back since. So it's been 26 years um, roughly that I haven't been back. Um, yeah. I plan to go eventually. And my wife has never been. She was born in Tennessee. She's a uh, Persian, okay. Persian uh, background, but she was born here um, in America. But uh, so, you know, down the road, we'll see. Um, but um, I'm curious about, you know, when did you discover your passion for music? Uh, and when did you start actually you know, what was your first instrument? What, what, what really turned you on to music and then rock? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, there was a guitar in the closet growing up and it looked cool, you know, and it sat there for many, many years and I'd pull it out and just kind of check it out. Um, neither one of my parents are very musical. Uh, my mom was a watercolor artist, so she was always very supportive of anything sort of creative, I didn't really like music um, until I heard hip hop, like Run DMC, and it just blew me away. Like I grew up in Grass Valley, up in the sticks, you know, up in the mountains, and anything yeah. urban, I was just fascinated with. Whether it was breakdancing, um, you know, hip hop, just that culture, that that street culture, was so just fascinating to me and I was just all about any of it I'd watch all those movies over and over and over again and when I heard Run DMC it was real stripped down and you could sing along and they rocked the Adidas their style was clean it was all black with the fedoras and something about the fashion the music and everything just all kind of just hit me and I was just all about run DMC and then that kind of graduated me into the beastie boys um then I got into high school and like I said started skateboarding and all the skateboarders listened to punk and I listened to punk and I was like this sounds like shit you know it's just aggressive (laughs) they're screaming I didn't get it my oldest sister was a punk rocker I just didn't get it yeah and toward my 
into my freshman year, there was a band called Seven Seconds. They're actually from Sacramento, coincidentally. Wow. And they started doing they started doing this sort of it's was you know straight. They put out this album called New Wind, and it was very less punk. It was very much more slowed down, more mid tempo, with melodies and that just clued me into this whole other side of punk. They're like melodic punk rock. So graduating from that kind of a sound, you would hear like Green Day or Blink-182, like very catchy, more, they call it pop punk. But back then, you know, Seven Seconds, Straight Edge, they had a message. And it was about making yourself better, life better through music. And it wasn't so nihilistic and aggressive and... um, just brutal as some of the punk rock that I had heard coming out of England. I mean, I grew up in the Reagan era, so everything was all about nuclear war, impending doom. And, um, you know, everybody was anti-establishment, very anti-government. Yeah. A lot like now, but with everybody just had way less, more of a willingness to stand up and um, organize a show or a, or a, or a, a boycott or something than just post stuff on on facebook or point the finger and it wasn't so extreme it was more like live and let live sort of a thing you know everybody mm-hmm. had their thing in the 80s there were still the same problems but people just kind of stayed in their own lane a little bit more and if you had a different opinion it didn't mean you were a horrible person basically yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's just it, things are so we're so separated by space but also so connected by our phones that that opinion can really soil you've never even met this person and you hate their guts you don't even know that they they like tacos like you do you don't even know you know if you know i mean it's like you don't even know what what nationality they really are what country i mean you you said you're persian and that for some people that can mean like the whole third of the world you know they don't know specifically what country and if they they hate that for whatever reason or like Americans, like people hate Americans. Well, there's a lot of different types of Americans. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, I mean, we have a whole like laundry list of, of Americans and how, what falls under that and, and patriotism. And I, I don't know, it's just so mixed up right now, but I don't want to go like in a deep dive into politics, but growing up there, music, I, I was never much into politics, but this yeah. message, this positivity of, of seven seconds really attracted me to it. And then right around the same time, my friend, took some guitar lessons and was playing like acoustic guitar, like folk guitar. Yeah. And so we kind of figured if we just sped it up, it would be punk rock. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we just played open chords and just, instead of like power chords and, and uh, we just strummed open chords. He knew like the basics, A, E, you know, G yeah. and F. And we just strung them together and wrote these songs. And our band was called just us. And, um, like instead of justice but just i get us. it yeah and, I, I was gonna and, say and that's, that's it had a, cool a p symbol on the top of the p symbol the top of it turned into a mushroom cloud so it was very <laughs> political and I and our it. friends and our friend's dog uh buzz was at the center of it because we like he had this australian shepherd and we would skate and play music out in our friend's garage out in their their garage and their dad was cool and i think he was in drummer and there were some old uh drums laying out there so he drummed Pat played guitar and then he's like, well, you play bass. And so I picked up some old bass. I don't even remember where. 
And I just learned how to play on one string with one finger and just moved it up and down. And he would show me, he would show me the dots, like third (laughs) dot to fifth dot to sixth dot. And I used to get blisters on my finger. Anyway, once we got into high school, he met other actual musicians and, you know, they kicked me out of the band. They changed the name and they wanted to do, um, you know, something more musical. And they're like, well, you don't even know how to tune your bass. Well, that didn't, you know, that made me upset and being competitive from sports, I figured, well, I'll show them. So I started another band. I figured out how to play and um, that, that grew into the passion. And right then I decided, well, if I write the songs, then they can never kick me out. So I was playing bass, but I would write on guitar and then switch back to bass and just show everybody the parts. Yeah. Now, and then I just had a kind of grew up a knack for that. So I was playing bass in this this band in all through high school. And then once we got out of high school, um, I was in this other band that they'd kind of hired me, um, these two guys, and it was more like a glam rock slash. I mean, they were trying to do punk. This was the early 90s. They thought it would, you know, grunge and punk were ending. So they were these butt rocker guys with long hair that cut their hair and were trying to be punk. So let's hire this guy to be a punk bass player. And I moved to Berkeley and they paid for my apartment. I soon found out that these guys were not legit. They had no credibility in the punk scene. They didn't know what it came from. You can't just like play punk rock. You know, you got to be punk rock. You got to understand the culture. And it's very uncool to try to change to that. You, you, it's something that you, it's really well respected. It's a fraternity, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, you know, it's like MMA just because you, 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 you know, you, I don't know. It's like any sports. It takes a while to, to work your way up and, and to that, to be accepted yep, by the pay team. Pay your dues. Yeah. Pay your dues. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I called my friend and, and begged him to play drums because we were looking for a drummer and he got in. And so we shared the room and we would practice these weird songs with these guys. And when they'd leave, there was a, a two, like a, like a stereo that had a, a cassette player with yeah. um, two mic outputs, like that cheesy, old, like an old stereo cassette, yeah, yeah. and you could hit record, and you had two lines left and right. So one I would duct tape to my microphone, so that was my vocal line, and then yeah. the other one I'd put in the room, and I'd yeah. play guitar, and Jason would play drums, and so we'd make these blank tapes. And meanwhile, unbeknownst to the other guys, one time I, I recorded the practice, what we did with them. And then when they left the room, we would kind of hang around and, and record. And it wasn't even our tape deck. It was the band we like shared the room with or something. Yeah. There were the, some Gothic band called Switchblade Symphony. And I don't know, I'd always borrow their guitar and break their string. They probably hated us. We were the worst roommates. But anyway, <laughs> if you're out there, Switchblade Symphony, I'm sorry. I owe you a couple packs of strings. Um, but we had to, we had to do it, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. um, Anyway, so we made this tape. Side A was this band we were in, and then side B was was me and Jason. And we were driving home to Grass Valley from Berkeley. And at the time, um, we were big, you know, potheads. So we were going to smoke some weed and then listen to both sides and figure out what to do. And it was pretty apparent what we should be doing. And, and Jason heard the song. He's like, dude, you're not a bass player. You're a songwriter. I'm like, dude, I can barely play guitar. He's like songwriting is different it's simple it's like three chords his dad his stepdad his dad was a drummer and then his stepfather was this guy jonathan richmond who was in that movie something about mary i don't know if you remember that yeah you yeah seen that? yeah 
you know the guy you know the guy in the tree that sings guitar and, and it's kind of narrates yeah throughout yeah. the movie yeah that's his stepdad no okay. way wow cool yeah so it's just ironically but jonathan was a singer songwriter that came from the east coast yeah. and um kind of a folk kind of punk kind of guy and he's like you know he grew up with jonathan he's like jonathan's songs are like two chords dude and just some cool lyrics like you yeah. got that he's all just focus on writing songs what we're doing is much cooler than what we're doing with these other yokels let's just do that so we moved off and we called it the lonely kings um i thought we could do some mock millie kind of kind of thing and slick our hair like greasers but i don't know how to play like just doing punk because that's what I knew how to play kind of, you know, from, from my, from my history and Kurt Cobain, um, as simple of a guitar player, he was, there was a nuance to his power chords. There was a, like a beautiful noise, um, even using feedback for, for sounds and, and, and guitar effects and things and using music in a different way, kind of like almost like Jimi Hendrix where the notes would bend into shape. And I love that sort of anti-music part of it. Yeah. So I just decided to make the guitar sound the way I wanted to and mm -hmm. made up my own chords, which exist, but I just didn't know what they were called. They're right. just jazz chords, basically. Yeah. And so I played punk rock with like weird jazz chords and it created this sort of sound. And um, yeah, and then we went on and were, were together for eight years and eventually got a record deal with a company out of uh, Orange County and you know toured nationally and ended up going overseas a few times and putting out three albums and lonely kings was a band i mean we've never really like disbanded the last show we played was a couple years ago in reno with with puddle of mud um but we were banned for about 23 years yeah actively wow That's even awesome, after man. our fame had sort of had had peaked we all stayed together um because that's all we knew you know my father had passed my drummer's mom died of cancer um this dysfunctional most um all right so we had a slight glitch we're back on we're still recording okay so uh the last uh thing we discussed was um you were mentioning you guys uh were touring for 23 years um, uh well we toured for the last like 10 of it i mean we we kind of got together. We got signed after eight years, so yeah, maybe maybe half half and half. We were just a local band for the the first half. That's cool though, man. Um, that's uh, so this is what so twenty three years. Uh, but you guys started when you were in high school. You you told me right? Yeah, well, well, kind of. Yeah, maybe about four or five years out of high school. Yeah, four or five. Okay, yeah. So that's about yeah, the was, same time frame as. Uh, when i started with prima which was my old band which was the uh now our our genre we kind of covered a bigger umbrella of rock like we didn't just stick to one we we were more of a cover band initially cool we, we started to write um our originals and then you know uh it was five of us and my favorite part about the band and we're still all friends um we all just got married and, 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 and yeah. China, and that was it. That was that. But my favorite part of the, this group that we had Prima was the, the fact that we represented five parts of the world in, in one band and, and we were a rock band, which was kind of like it, it on paper, it didn't make sense. 
right? But uh, when you saw us perform and then you heard what we presented, um, you would have had a different experience. Um, and cool. we, we, we didn't, we, we didn't tour as long as uh, you guys did, however, but um, we kind of made a name for ourselves ourselves in like from 2008 to 2010 um uh and uh black drummer sam um he's going to be on this uh podcast in the next week or two um uh country western country boy in our uh rhythm guitarist and singer his name was tyler uh bass player was mexican um get our lead guitarist was half japanese half irish and i was your <laughs> i was your persian lead singer so and i was nice. on, the key, on the keyboards but it was just yeah That's and, cool. and, and we threw it together you know out of college i was going to sac city and then uh i met up with sean our, our lead guitarist and then um uh we i got sam he was my neighbor our drummer and then uh we found eddie at a party and he and he by the way, bass players that are committed are like, you know, a needle, a needle in the haystack, right? You would, yes. So it's like, but he was the most committed man. And we, you know, he was at every practice on time. He was ready to go. And, and he developed uh, immensely during that time. And he still plays, but, um, you know, he got into medical uh, and I believe he, he got into physician assistant, I believe is what he does now. But anyway, we're all adulting now, but uh, um, it's, it was, it was just cool to hear your story and then the parallels in two different decades where, where we started. But, um, you know, I, for me, and I want to touch on this because we talked about this a little bit um, when, when we met initially, the anxiety, right. Dealing with anxiety of, of these big moves, right. Um, it, at, at the 10, I was like 23 when 24 where where we kind of took a break that was um but we had we had um agents at our battles of the we had some battles uh battle of bands and then um uh we practiced religiously for those and you know that was the fun part just getting ready for that right but it became it got to a point for me when it came to performing um at that age um where we're actually having, you know, minor success and it's starting to build. But what ended up happening is I'm, you know, city slickers in Folsom. We were, we were performing there. They, they hired us to be the house band. So we would go there twice a month, three times a month. And, you know, this was a big deal considering we were five random guys that got together and we just, we created this thing. But, yeah. um, but what what started happening and um was even though i was having this success i was um not like excited and and it and it was it was a it was puzzling to me at that young age being 22 23 sure. cuz i yes. was like i was like why the why the fuck am i not excited i'm like i'm yeah. i'm this is all I loved ever since I could speak, you know, music at my first experience with uh, music was singing at the age of three, which I still remember. Like I was singing yeah. in the back of my parents' car and it was just so liberating and free. But the minute the business side kicked in, 
like I just I, I don't know. I would I would perform and I would, you know, I, I'd like to say I, I did all right on the performances. And then on my drive home, I'm in tears. Like I'm straight up crying, like going home, you know. And I'm like, why? Why am I doing you know? Now I understand what was happening to me, you know, almost 17 years later. But uh or 15 years later, but it's just it was uh I wanted to know your take, like when you guys got the opportunities, the, the tours, and then you started to get recognized and, and those steps started happening for you. Um, did you deal with any of that anxiety? And, and I know that you had your demons uh, with, with alcohol and, 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 um, and your share of uh, n narcotics. I just like to know what, what went through, what happened to to you to go even heavier into the drugs was it the anxiety or was it the pressure or was it none of those things i'm just curious well that's a that's a great question um so i had always you know i growing up in grass valley it's a very well known sort of um well a lot of people grow pot up there Okay, so yeah. the culture is very desensitized to, to marijuana. And now this is also 95, 96 when the chronic is out, Cypress Hill. Yeah. I mean, weed was just like this thing. I don't even still don't really put it in a category of heavy duty narcotics or consider it a gateway. I don't smoke anymore because I like um, feeling my feelings and marijuana now would probably just make me feel more than I even want to it just yeah. accelerated everything but at the time it was cool because it opened up this floodgate of creativity or, or what I thought um and so we just did that you know yeah. and yeah. um I could just hyper focus um on the music and um it just was very pure and just very easy and had some beers at practice and after the shows and and whatever i never really saw it as as a coping mechanism um now when we did get signed i was always just really competitive and i knew we had something special i wasn't going to stop until someone validated that yeah and when we got signed then the pressure hit yeah and then we get in the studio and we have this um producer and he's like well, what do you guys just smoke pot and put these pieces together and that's your song and i'm like well yeah He's all, there's no verse, no chorus, no, no bridge, no structure. And I'm like, no. And our drummer couldn't play to a click. Um, so we got our asses handed to us on the first album, even though we had gotten signed it and come up with some pretty cool stuff. And then we wrote all these fast songs and the, the label just said, no, we like your slower, more mid-tempo stuff. And it's catchier and it's better. And that's why we signed you and we're not going to put any of these out. So... Um, I was like, okay. I wanted to actually tie what we started the, this whole podcast on, which was compet co healthy competition and, and then the pressure on, uh, that you guys faced from the label saying, this is shit. We want what, what we yeah. signed you for. And I was yeah. asking you like, what was, how did you, what was your initial reaction to that? How did you guys deal with that? And what was the outcome? Well, Okay, so it started to build, and I took all that on myself. Um, I just doubled down. Instead of relaxing and relying on my bandmates, I just pushed harder. I just took over control of the artwork, 
um, how he looked, how he dressed, how he sounded, um, everything. And I used to get real scared. I mean, the pressure that was on me and the pressure was getting put on me by the label really freaked me out. I'd kind of write about it in third person. It's funny because the first song on our first CD was called Runaway to Spain. And it's sort of this fantasy about me because I heard Spain was really cool, you know, just yeah. a rad place to like live and be. It's beachy yeah. and people eat tacos and take naps. And well, I had a friend who was a pro skater. He's like, dude, Spain's the best place in the world. Just hands down. The women are beautiful. It's just amazing. It's that, you know, the Mediterranean. And so I wrote this song called Runaway to Spain. And it was just me sort of like, um, you know, if this doesn't work, I'll just take off. I'll just yeah. turn into Hemingway. I'll just go live in a weird beach house and eat, eat, eat beans and rice and write and, and, you know, drink cheap wine. And I don't know, I just had this sort of Kerouac sort of way of just escapism. Yeah. If all else fails, you know, screw being a rock star, I'll just take off and no one will ever hear from me ever again. So that was how I alleviated the pressure was in this sort of fantasy world. Um, then, uh, you know, things started going well. And then the pressure that I put on myself, I would apply to other people. I wasn't had a day job. You know, my my kids' mom got pregnant with my oldest son. Pressure became more. The band had to work. Yeah. And like kind of like you said, once the business entered it, being there's facts and there's feelings. And now there's a lot of facts in music business that are not fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of feelings in music when you're writing that's all anybody wants to talk about are feelings yeah but then there's facts so you got to be able to shift gears between those a lot of feeling uh -huh. people are not good fact people no and no. the industry knows this and they have very good fact people they're going to try to hose you every chance you get yeah they know you want to play yeah. they know you can play and they'll just feed you the scraps of whatever now we didn't get screwed in business but we just kept writing and writing and writing, trying to appease everybody. Rather than focus on our core sound, I just started writing around what I thought everybody wanted to hear. Or we'd go play with these amazing bands. I'm like, I want to be like this. Yeah. And then they were getting all this critical success. I was always looking at other people's success instead of the small successes on our own and building off that. Mm. Then um, getting out on tour, that sort of escapism, not caring, um, you know, booze made me not care it turned off all my yeah. care buttons i'm like this yeah. works i'm out yeah. every night there's beer at every show and i just started flipping that switch off and um then you know we kept touring and and then you know toward the end of the the touring stuff the the booze got stronger you know if i could get my hands on some some other drugs i mean nothing like i i don't know i, I never like heroin or anything like that but coke or something like that that would just push the the drinking further and you just sit around and talk about how rad you used to be and that didn't come until later um so toward the tail end of my music career i started doing hair and then i was able to make money i worked in a high-end salon i worked really hard i was in school and i was touring i was living in my friend's garage me and my kids mom had split up due to all the rock and roll fuckery i mean it was drugs alcohol women anything i could get to fill like this massive void inside of myself and I'm not saying this to brag. I mean, there are yeah. some experiences I've had that I'll take to the grave and they were amazing and they were a rock star and that was great. But 95% yeah. of it, maybe even 99, I could have lived without. Yeah. It was just me being sad, you know, trying to get at someone that it was also sad, mm -hmm. low self-esteemers. I mean, 
not to be like crass, but like I've slept with people I wouldn't even want to be seen standing next to on the street. You just yeah. wake up and be like, what the hell is this? And that has nothing to do with, with, with sex or lust or love. That just has to do with um, making yourself temporarily feel better. And then in the morning, you feel like a big old, you know, piece of yeah. garbage. And then that just starts, that just starts, um, you know, catapulting yeah yeah snowballing so that got bigger and bigger and bigger then when i started making money as a hairdresser now i have money right so now i'm going to the bar and um and i have a couple hundred bucks in my pocket so you know these habits you know what became once in a while started becoming you know a little more often and then every time we drank we would get some blow and then just again commiserate about that we were still in a band and the shows were always a great excuse to kind of get together and party yeah um and that's because that's like i said that's all we had and then it all just kind of and then i started djing um i love electronic music um it got me a chance to be out there but i would get drunk and get high while i was while i was performing basically like there's no way i'm going to do this job sober like what's wrong with you you know um and then it all just kind of came to a head and i was just really unhappy and I'd have these emotional, not just regular hangovers, but emotional hangovers where I just felt like a giant piece of shit and I couldn't come around from it. And then one night, um, it just happened. I just took off. Um, I was at a bar. Um, I was drinking. Uh, I was doing some, some blow. I was also at that point, you know, strung, strung out on opiates because I use those for like um, hangovers. They worked mm-hmm. great for hangovers, for mm-hmm. coke and booze hangovers. Um, I don't recommend that any of you listeners out there that are looking away to take the edge off. Do not. It just, that is a slippery slope and it just gets more and more and more and people have ruined their lives, death, you know, it's just nasty. Just deal with your hangover. If you want to party like a rock star, fine, but deal with like, deal with it like a rock star on Saturday morning. Don't be a pussy. Just fucking (laughs) handle it. Drink some water and take a nap or whatever. Just don't, you know what I'm saying? Like if you got to own that, you got to own that. If you're going to rip it, you know, it's going to suck the next day, like good and bad, yin and yang, black and white, you know, good and evil. It's just the, 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 the world is, is a very balanced place. And if you try to fuck with it, it'll, it'll throw you into the ground just to remind you that no one rides for free. Anyhow, It all came to a head. I had this giant panic attack while I was using and I could not stop it. Now, I've, I don't know if you've ever had an, an argument with a loved one when you've had some drinks and it's hard to turn that emotion off. Mm-hmm. You start saying shit you don't mean. I mean, it's hard enough to do it sober, let alone mm-hmm. when you're when you, and your inhibitions have down. You have this great, big, giant, emotional fight, you know, argument, whatever. And you don't remember half of it. You said all this awful stuff like that was happening on the inside. So my rock bottom kind of happened in a mirror and I couldn't shut the feelings off. And I just remember looking in the mirror and saying like, never again. And I'd love to tell you that was the very last time I ever used because I had to test it a couple more weekends after that and be like, maybe it was just, you know, maybe I didn't drink enough or maybe I didn't do enough Coke or maybe I didn't. But every time I picked up, it was just within 20 minutes, it would start like my heart rate would start going. And the last thing I kind of remember was showing my a friend of mine it was like five in the morning we had been up all night and I was showing this guy pictures of my kids on my phone which I never brought out 
you know, cause I was a weekend dad. I was, I was separated. I never partied when my kids were there or anything like that. I didn't use around them. I never even had it in the house or any of that stuff. It was very, my two worlds were separate. I was like two different people yeah. and I was showing in pictures of my kids saying like, this is real. You're not real. None of this is real. This is the only thing that's real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go, you're like, you're starting to get out there. Yeah. And, uh, I just, all I remember is this, this, this definition, um, between reality and fantasy and what I was using to check out was yeah. now rearing its ugly head and, and forcing me to check back in. And I didn't like that. And I got really scared. And what I was afraid of wasn't quitting, wasn't not even to have fun again. It was not being able to put my head in the sand and not deal with shit, postponing mm-hmm. the inevitable coping with life's bullshit. I'd yeah. been through a divorce. My dad had died. I had two fucking kids. I, my band was fucking on the rocks. I pissed away my career calling my manager in a, in a drunken coked out stupor and fired him on the phone on a fucking message machine that he could play back a million times and play back for me. Yeah. You know, just stupid shit. And all I looked back on was all this self-sabotage I'd done along my whole career. As soon as I got close to success, I would do something huge to bring it back down to where I could manage it. So I can, you can only get as, 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 as far as you get. And maybe that's kind of what happened with you. I could relate to that. As soon as you get up there, you got it. That's why it's not fun because now you're meeting your own expectations. When the world's your oyster, there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Then yeah, let's ride. But when they show it to you, you're like, wait, 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 wait. I don't know if I deserve that. I'm pretty good, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Freddie Mercury. You know, shit. He was, he was amazing. Yeah. But you know, you got to push through that shit. Yeah. You know, our that perspective. Was, that was my, sh- that was hundred percent. You, 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 you hit that on the head. And, uh, and, and when you mentioned feelings versus facts, like I've never heard any other musician term it that way, you know, put it in yeah. those terms. And that was just, it's dead on. You're right. I mean, <laughs> musicians are feelers like that's, and you can't, yeah. I mean, it's hard to, separate the two right i mean you can write music i mean i i've written music as an assignment for school and it was like a completely different experience than writing music because i want to write music you know what i mean so yeah but when you put your feelings into in into your baby whatever you're creating it's then you build expectations and then those expectations become yeah they can become monsters because then you're like yeah. No, this is where I wanted to go. What's going on? Why am I? Yeah. You know, now like, I'm going to fail times. Yeah. Fail times 10. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's one thing yeah. if you botch a, a show you don't care about, but when you botch an audition, when you botch, you know, that's, that's where the real pressure is. And you know, the people that can, can push through that, you yeah. know, it's something else. I, I like, as I've gotten older, I like that pressure because you feel like you're in your body. Yeah. It puts you right in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> And you know this from performing. Once you open your mouth, dude, it's on. Yep. You're not going to, oh, you know what? I'm going to go eat a piece of pizza and watch TV. You guys good? Because <laughs> no. I just, you know, once you open your mouth, you're committed to the rest of that set. Yeah. And, and it I takes, love that. Yeah. I, I love that pressure. What I don't like is meeting my expectations, which are impossible, yeah. and meeting other people's expectations, you know? Oh, and man. Uh, <laughs> and that's, it, it, it's tricky, you know? But I love, I mean, people that, think music isn't competitive when you're on stage you know you're a product and you gotta you gotta get up there you gotta show them that 
you know what you're doing and be all confident and it's crazy and you're this you're this pro athlete basically and then when you walk off stage you better drop that shit yeah you know what i mean that's that's the part you better be you better be humble you better be cool you better be like you know you can't act the way you were on stage everybody wants to see it up there but anywhere else in the world you're just some narcissistic fool and it's like it's hard to shift gears once you believe that you're the person on stage in real life you're 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 dead in the water you become a caricature of yourself and it just gets you're silly you know it's two things yeah yeah Uh, sorry to interrupt you because i want to make this point there are two things that i've learned and i'm still obviously having every day i wake up saying i don't know shit and bring it on right (laughs) like i don't because if i uh, the minute i think i know something that's when i start i start you know getting upset and i start being questioning like what the hell is going on but as anyway what i was going to say is two things and one of them my therapist uh eloquated perfectly um i one is um don't have expectations and 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 don't forget why i start why i did this to begin with right i um it was it it was uh when i forgot that you know, during, during the times where we started to have success, I started to forget that. And that's when it was the scariest because then I'm yeah. like, what I'm like in, in the shark infested water, what am I doing here? Right? Like it was, that's how it felt because I, I was still too young and too much of a rookie to, to look at it as, listen, this is what you love. Now you're just sharing what you love with more people. That's all I had to do. I couldn't get yeah. to that point. I, I couldn't get to that point. Now I see it. The other thing is, like you said, because when we turn that switch on, the performance switch on, turning it off to to do the regular life, right? Is yeah. is is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it it's, it's it's so it's yeah. it's such a huge challenge. And and my therapist said it right because, you know, um, I don't have no secrets on here. My, you know, we started seeing a couples counselor. You know, we're six years, almost six years in August 29th yeah. in, into our uh, marriage. Um, and, and, you know, I, I started seeing my own therapist and my therapist told me this, he said, I told him, I'm like, I told him all my issues that I thought I'm having. Right. And then he goes, he goes, have you ever thought that you don't know how to deal with mediocrity? And then when he, yeah. when he pointed that out, I was like, say no more. Like that, that's it. That's what it is. And, sure. and, and it was just turning that switch off from a performer, especially because I screwed up or I felt that I screwed up our chances initially with that band, which in hindsight, it wasn't that right. It was just, we grew apart and we, you know, had other goals in life, but yeah, I put that pressure on myself as the leader. I was the oldest in the band and I thought I got to carry everything. And and I had no experience with any of that. So anyway, it took me 12, 13 years to realize it's okay. And also the reason I was so involved in competition uh, in sports and everything else, it was, it was all related, right? It, it all made sense to me because I was trying to perform, whether it's on the yeah. basketball court, whether it was in the gym, whether yeah. it's being married, right? Like it's even that, like just yeah. my wife, my wife didn't care for all that. She just wanted a husband, right? That, that she loved sure. initially. And, 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 and now I'm learning to, to be okay when things aren't you know on like 
level 10 all the time. So yeah, um, no, I get it. My, uh, one of my buddies, AA buddies said, uh, you got to be the hole in the donut, dude. You got to be okay with that. He had a, yeah. he had a term for me, which I think he's probably used before. He, he called it terminally unique. He's like, <laughs> I know, I know guys like you, you know, <laughs> yeah. you think you're special. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, when I this, my, 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 I don't know shit speech is you're not special speech. Okay. So I am okay. God loves us all or yeah. whoever's in charge up there. We're all special. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not special to the world's crap that the dishes out i i still gotta lift the toilet seat i still gotta put the shopping cart back in the little spot that says please return the carts here i right. still have to do that stuff i'm not above that no. and that's where my where my my flaws kick in is when i feel like i'm different and going to work the next day after a big show you're right it it, it fell beneath me back then you know yeah, like yeah. i'm this you know creator of music and how <laughs> dare you you know drag me that yeah I, I get it man but it's just you know, our, it's, it was just our gift that that you know yeah. we we were blessed with and sure. and you know it was just i think i mean we're we're both in agreement here that when we say that you know it's a gift that we share and it has to come from love right and when it came from something else it, it's always the slippery slope so yeah that, well and what, when you stick your neck out there someone's gonna lop it off people don't realize that like whatever rock star well you want the job you want to get yeah. up there and open your mouth because one person's gonna think it's awesome and the other person's gonna think i'm the <laughs> you know is gonna and they're gonna tell me how they feel yeah. and i'm not even gonna ask them they're gonna <laughs> share their opinions with me and i don't even care you know what yeah, i mean yeah, like yeah that's part of that anxiety is that i'm opening myself up to criticism um, and failure for no other reason. And I'm not even getting paid for it. It's not even like painting a fence where the people are like, Oh, the good job painting the fence or, Hey, it's a little too white. Can you do it? You know, a little, <laughs> yeah. little more beige. Sure. You know, I'll get some more paint music. It's so subjective that, I mean, who knows? I mean, I hear bands all the time. Like people really like this. Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, or like I was watching Lollapalooza and there's some, you know, some artists out there just playing the tracks and just kind of mumbling their lyrics and the CDs playing and the, the lyrics are there, but they're like, yo. And then like, and then the rest of the verse is going, they're not even like singing in the mic. They're just like yeah. chanting along to their own song that they recorded. And I'm like, that's not even playing an instrument in front of people. Like, but you know, whatever they recorded it and there's thousands and thousands of people. So what the hell do I know? Everybody's rocking out. Like who gives a shit, but that's true, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, but yeah, man, no, I, I think, you know, you opened up a layer of this that I hadn't even really thought of in a long time because it's so automatic and it's so like, yeah, I'm in a band. I got this. It's cool. Like no one ever talks about that underbelly, that fear, that, that insecurity. And that's all where all the good music comes from. No yeah. one wants to hear about how rad you think you are. Yeah. They want to hear about how you, what, what would creep, you know, things you'd never say out loud at dinner you know but <laughs> yeah. everybody's going through it they're, they're all going through it but no one would talk about it that's what you got to write about yeah you know and similar. i had a producer one time you know i was talking to being real wordy and in the, in the lyrics and getting all weird and getting out there and he's like man what's the song about and i told him he's like why are your explanations so much better than your lyrics like just say that oh wow. you know you know he's like i had this thing i'm all dude i just don't i'm just not the man i used to be that's all there is to it he's like that's the hook that's it that's i relate to that you know, yeah. write that. And that, that became the, the tag of the song, you know, and you I was over, just like, you were yeah. overcomplicating it by, by trying yeah. to be, well, I didn't want people to know the truth. That's you know, it. I didn't want people yeah. to know. I didn't want yeah. them to poke around inside my weird brain of 
failure and, and, and insecurity. I wanted them to think that I had it dialed. If you dig around and you can pull some parallels of what I was saying. Yeah. And it was pretty artistic and stuff. But the truth of the matter was, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm making it all up and I hope you like it, you know? So here <laughs> it is, you know, it's like, that's, but that's liber but that's so liberating, right? Not when you got yeah. to the, when you get it, when you get to that discovery about yourself or when you, when you start to let go of the shackles or, 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 or the whale or the veils that you put on, on yourself. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's, hiding we we try to hide right and and that and there's nothing more beautiful than than the truth like your truth my truth right and 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 i think again it comes from insecurities anxiety the whole you know all of that we try to or even our, ourselves we hide it from ourselves you know it's, yeah. it's it's not wanting to admit what what's really the problem but the the reality is we're a couple of musicians talking about this right there are doctors who deal with this shit. There, there, yeah. there's, uh, I mean, look at the long list of uh, veterans that are, you know, have dealt with it as a result or previously. Um, yeah. All types of fields have to deal with this. We're, we're lucky enough. We can write about it and share it, you know, like it's, yeah. um, it's, it's um, so anyway, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful field that we're, we're lucky enough to be a part of. And, um, you know, it's just the approach and, and the purpose behind it is, is, is really what keeps us going um, versus making us fight ourselves. Um, you For mentioned, sure. let's close on this. You mentioned uh, hair salon and I know you, you, you're involved in that. Um, how long you have you been, when did you discover that and how long have you been cutting hair? I've been cutting hair for about 20 years. Um, dude, it came back when I was a kid. I just hated the way my mom's lady cut my hair. And I wanted to look like Billy Idol or, you know, the psychedelic furs, not like, you know, a normal person. It was part of my identity. It was part of my outfit. Fashion to me isn't about making a statement. It's about defining who you are. You know, it's about drawing a line in the sand to separate yourself from people or to assimilate with other people. It's whatever you want it to be. If you want to you, if you want to look normal, dress normal. The weirdest yeah. people are the most normal. Like, yeah. you know, the, the, the real psychos are the ones you don't see. You know, like, you know what I mean? They never shake me down at the airport. Why would they send Captain Obvious and to, to, to hijack a plane? You know, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. This, you know what I'm saying? Like, we get our kicks, you know, right. like it's right. the weird normal person that, that or quote unquote normal. No one's normal. So yeah. fashion for me was just always a way to express who I was. I grew up in a small town and I just liked looking cool. And I was always into fashion and culture and, and how that was, you could define that you could be anybody you want, yeah. you know? Um, not that I wear outlandish clothes or anything like that, but I like being able, I've always been fascinated by that. So hair was just a part of that. Um, and I just, uh, my mom told me that, you know, the music thing, you know, I have, I had two kids, three and one years old. Um, I'm struggling. I literally have had over 200 jobs in my life. I would just leave at lunch. I would quit. I would argue. I would forget yeah. to turn the fucking grill off. Like, I can't even tell you. I was just so absent-minded because yeah. I didn't care about anything because yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't worth my time. Hair was renewable. It grew and there's shapes, there's, there's things, there's mm. creativity. It makes people feel better. You yeah. get to talk to them. I just had a knack for it. And I just started cutting 
um, and could do a pretty good job even without any training. Cause it's really, if you think about it, if you just use your brain for a second, short, long, right. stand up, lay down, slick it back, you know, grow it. You know what I mean? A Spike bob it. is a straight yeah. line. You know, yeah. if you could figure it out. Okay. Now there's all these skills to make it look better and more refined and grow in well and all that stuff. But I had a good natural knack for it. So she helped me, um, she paid for my school and then she paid herself back because when my grandma passed, I was, uh, on, uh, my inheritance was from some natural gas rights. She was one of 14 children in North Dakota and they hit natural gas, kind of like oil up there. Mm-hmm. And so when she died, she had in her will went out to all the grandchildren. There's like 40 of us. Yeah. And so we all got this little chunk of change. My mom was the executor of the will. She's like, I'll put you through beauty school, but I'm going to pay myself back when your grandma passes. And she, mm-hmm. at the time, you know, she only had a few years left, but, uh, and God rest her soul, you know, yeah. um, that my mom did that. So my sisters, you know, obviously got a bigger, bigger yeah. little chunk of change than I did, but I've, you know, that's, I've got paid back by that. She saying it saved my life. You know, yeah. I found something yeah. I could do. I got paid. Well, I could be around people. I could be unique. Yep. I could be myself. Um, I'd even, you know, I, I'd convinced the teachers in beauty school to let me take pictures of bands on the road to prove I was doing haircuts. So I yeah. could still tour. I would bring home Polaroids of all these guys with Mohawks and dreads and shit and bring them back. And I just, I mean, I was just hosing, I was just bullshitting them the whole time. And they were, yeah. you know, some 60 year old lady, she didn't care about, you know, <laughs> yeah. the license, the, the part of school, it wasn't about skills, just getting your license. Yeah. So I had to learn all that, all the, the procedures and stuff, but yeah. you know, they knew I was going to go on and I didn't have any other chances. I was 31. I was like, this is it, yeah. you know, or third 29. And I'm like, that was it. You know, this is my last chance. My mom yeah. wasn't going to help me again. I needed something. And uh, I started, I wanted to work in a salon because color and cut and women's hair was a lot more expensive. And I just wanted to go where the money was. And for me, beauty on a woman means so much more. It's so much harder to achieve than making a man feel good. Like, you know, men's cuts nice. They feel handsome, cool. It's more like yeah. for the wedding or they just like to look sharp. Women, yeah. it's an emotional thing. Yeah and in beauty and soft and like classic styles and not just like pink and purple and crazy hair but really pretty really natural hair that's almost harder to achieve and that challenge became a huge uh part of my 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 existence and you know I lost my hair um when I was about 27 28 so for me it's a really precious resource I I don't like over coloring it I don't like leaving the bleach on too long I won't do a service if I think it's going to harm the hair yeah. And in order to get hair like yours, you got to take it right to the brink, dude. You know, to get <laughs> yeah, it white, yeah. you know, you know, I'm sure your, your scalp's been on fire. Your mom's like, dude, we can't do it again. It's going to fall out. And you're like, That's right. all right, it's close <laughs> enough. You know, put some toner on there. We're good. Now I, I can do that, you know, but I, uh, most of my services are very more natural. I do a lot of men's cuts. I do a lot of businessmen that like a, the, the same thing. And it's, and it's, and it's, and I'm quick and they can schedule with me. They don't have to wait like at a barbershop or something. And, you know, and we have good conversations. I have people of all shapes and sizes, but I do, but the 70% of my clientele are men and they're always ballers, dude, just like big money guys that don't have time. I start at seven in the morning yeah. and they, they book their appointment. They come in, they come out. That's they, they don't like waiting around. They don't have a time. And it's the same thing every time they can count that the service is good 
I'm not going to be late. You know, I'm not going to move salons a hundred times. I could just stay real consistent with them and I charge them for it and I get yeah. paid well. So, you know, I, I, I make a lot of money in an hour because I'm quick and I'm effective and that's how I built my business. You know, yeah. I'll do like yeah. 18 to 20 clients in a day where my wife who does colors mostly does like four or five. Yeah. She still makes more money than I do because she pretty much just does women and colors. Yeah. Um, uh, do you open a new salon by Golden One? Um, yeah, true, true salon, TRU. TRU. I, uh, I'm true, plug true, dot, true dot doco on Instagram. True dot doco on Instagram. I'll plug all of that on here. And your band, go ahead okay. and plug that away as well. It's called, it's called Chrome Rose. Um, we're all on all the social media sites. We're also, um, you know, Apple, iTunes, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, of course. Um, just go check us out. Awesome. Yeah, man. we're on there. Just download it, stream it for free. I don't care. Just listen and, you know, we're always playing. So let me know. Jake, thank you so much for coming on. And of course, I want you back on because your life is, uh, we only scratch the surface, as I said. Um, but uh, I appreciate you spending time with me. And um, for everyone else, uh, Thanks for listening. Don't forget, uh, subscribe, follow, uh, illuminate the bell on my YouTube channel, Fumble Podcast. Uh, follow me on Instagram, uh, Twitter, the whole nine. This has been episode 23. Thanks for uh, listening and watching. I'll catch you on the next one.